So I'm really enjoying these weeks now of kind of doing Kabbalah mashups, Kabbalah mix-ups. And so I figured with Sukkot this week that I would do the Kabbalah of Sukkot. A little bit of, a little, just a little bit of it, just to give us a, a taste and a feel for the holiday coming up. I'll tell you why I love Sukkot so much. I consider it the little gift that God gives us after all the hard work of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. There is no other, there is no other holiday in all of the Torah that it says, you should rejoice in this holiday. It is a biblical commandment to be happy. Now, I know there's other holidays of which we say, oh, this is a time to be happy. Like when Adar comes in, you should increase in joy. But not biblically. The Torah says, you have to be joyous. Now, we've spoken in this class before about the difference between happiness and joy. I won't go into that today specifically, but there's another really amazing element of the um, of, of the holiday of Sukkot, and that is the idea, every mitzvah that we do, we're using a part of our body, our hand, our mouth, our eyes, our, our uh, depending on what we're doing, we're, we're, you know, lighting Shabbat candles, we're using our, our, we're definitely imbuing it with our soul and our spirits. But as far as our physical body, different mitzvahs use different parts of the body. There are only two mitzvahs in the entire Torah that use the entire body. One of them is not a biblical commandment for men, only a biblical commandment for women. And that is the mitzvah of immersing in the mikvah. Immersing the entire body in the mikvah, the enti- that mitzvah uses the entire body. So for me, as someone who uh, clearly identifies as a male, I uh, have only one mitzvah of which I can use my entire body, and that is I walk into a sukkah. By walking into the sukkah, I am using my entire body. So every moment that we sit, in the sukkah, we are using our entire body. To me, I like to look at it and feel it. And for those of you who have never felt it, I, I encourage you so much to experience it this year. I consider it like a hug from God. It's so powerful. Now, the the mitzvah of Sukkot is eating and drinking and and uh schmoozing, relaxing. Some people even sleep in the sukkah. It's this temporary structure, if you've never seen it. It's has the, the roof has to be made of physical material. And so the structure consists of walls, a roof, and <clears throat> materials that grew from the ground, like uh bamboo, like straw, branches. According to Jewish law, a sukkah requires two complete walls and a little third, which means, yes, you can have four walls, but you don't. it doesn't require that. You need at least two complete walls and a third. So I'll just give you an example. If you're thinking of making a sukkah, if you have the wall of your home, that could be one of the walls. 
So all you have to do is put another wall and then a little bit. And that's it. You have a sukkah there. And then you have to put some kind of branches on top of it. It's not complicated. I know today you can go and buy all these prefab sukkahs, but the actual construction of a sukkah is not complicated. Now, one of the questions I've asked is, why does Jewish law dictate the exact requirement for a sukkah wall? And my question today is, what is the spiritual and psychological significance of spending seven days in a hut on your porch or in your backyard or outside. So I want to go into two of the most extraordinary Jewish thinkers ever. The first is Rabbi Isaac Luria. He was a Kabbalist who lived in 16th century Tzvat. And there, he had the, some of the most amazing writings on Kabbalah. And the second is Rabbi Shneer Zaman of Liadi. He's known as the Alter Rebbe. And the two of them turn our attention to the affectionate words that are uttered by the bride in King Solomon's Song of Songs. What does he say? He says, his left arm lay under my head and his right arm embraces me. His left arm lay under my head and his right arm embraced me. These two Kabbalists understand these words to be addressing, obviously in metaphor, two distinct moments in the relationship between God, who, as we've spoken about before in this class, is the groom in our relationship, and us the human, the individual, who's the bride in our relationship with God. During Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, God's, again, metaphor, left arm, as it were, lay under the head of the people. The left side represents in Kabbalah introspection. It represents discipline, integrity. And the funny thing is, well, funny, the reality is, is that this is the primary theme of the Days of Awe. Sukkot, once we finish this experience of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, Sukkot, described in the Torah as the b'chagecha, as the time of our joy, what is that point? It's the point when the right arm embraces me. Now, if you take a look at any of your arms, this is what Rabbi Isaac Luria says, the Kabbalist. If you take a look at any of your arms, you're going to notice that it's divided into three distinct sections. And each one usually extending in a different direction, right? The first is, is, is the arm itself. And then there's from the shoulder to the elbow. The second is the forearm and then the wrist. What do you see? You get where I'm at? It's literally two walls and a bit. One, two, and then a little bit from the wrist to the hand. So if you take a good look at your sukkah, you're going to notice a right arm's embrace. The first 
complete wall represents a divine embrace from the shoulder to the elbow. The second wall reflects an embrace from the forearm. And then there's that little bit, which is the palm embrace. I I love this teaching. I hope you love it as much as I do. But Rabbi Isaac Luria takes it a step further. He explains that these three dimensions of an arm's embrace, they actually encompass three distinct parts of the body being embraced. When you hug someone, when you embrace another person, the highest part of the arm between the shoulder and the elbow, it encompasses the entire left waist of the person being embraced. The middle part of the person's arm, the forearm, that expands over the width of the person's back. And finally, the palm and the fingers extend even further to cover only a small part of the face of the embraced person, a handbreadth of the face. And the same is true with the sukkah. The first two walls represent God's God's light embracing the left waist and the back of the human being dwelling in the sukkah. But the third wall, that little bit, which is supposed to be a handbreadth, the handbreadth is this, from the top of the thumb to the bottom of the hand. It's called a handbreadth. It's a measurement in Jewish law. So that that third wall of the sukkah, it symbolizes the divine energy that embraces the small part of the human's face. If you have a sukkah of three or four complete walls, the hug is, of course, all-embracing. And it's encircling your back and your face. But we're talking about the minimum requirement for the sukkah. Now, this is the language of the Kabbalah. Generally, and we've spoken about this before, Kabbalah is written in codes, in metaphors. Now, my question here, and I hope you're appreciating this with me, and it's such a beautiful teaching. The question is, how do we imply, how do we apply these metaphors? to our lives? That's always my question. It's very nice. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful teaching. So what does that mean? How does the performance of the mitzvah of sukkah become a meaningful and inspiring experience? Even, let's say, heaven forbid, heaven forbid, the weather decides to disagree with the holiday, which could affect the joy of the embrace in the sukkah. So in order to understand this, I want to take a look at four universally accepted forms of expressing love to someone else. The first one is through words of affection. Three simple words, the most powerful words in the world. I love you. When those words are uttered with emotion, with sincerity, they have a transforming impact on people's lives. Words have always, for humans, served as the basic tools for expressing our inner emotive experiences. The second is more powerful than words. It's a more powerful expression. It's a kiss. A genuine kiss contains an extraordinary energy, and it serves as the medium for communicating a a deeply intense feeling that words can never grasp. 
Words say, I love you. A kiss says, I love you more than I'll ever be able to tell you how much I love you. The power of a kiss. But there's a third expression of love. And that, I would say, is even more powerful than a kiss. And that comes in the form of a gaze. Two people can love each other. They could say, I love you. They could kiss each other. But two people in love can gaze at each other for long periods of time without uttering a sound. The sound of a silent gaze is sometimes so loud that it's louder than any other type of affection. Eyes, according to Kabbalah, they carry within themselves the deep secrets of the soul. And that's why most people feel very uncomfortable when someone stares at them in the eyes for more than a few seconds because there's a deep secret of the soul in the eyes. There's something of your soul that you can communicate to another human only through your eyes. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? <laughs> Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. And then there's a fourth type of embrace or a fourth type of love, sorry. And that is a big fat hug. When it's authentic and not just, you know, for show, what it demonstrates is a solid and profound bond that exists between two people embracing each other. Now, I'm going to ask a, a complicated question here within this teaching. So we have four types of love. Which one of these four forms of love do children cherish most? Child, the purity of a child. Children enjoy being spoken to, not at, right? We don't speak at children. We speak to children, with children. And definitely, if you kiss your child, they enjoy and they take pleasure from the kiss. They, look to, they, 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 they feel that kiss. That more than anything, most children, especially infants, cherish being hugged. When our children, especially when they're young and they hurt themselves or they even destroy our homes and then break out into tears, they come running to their parents for a big and long hug to calm them down, to restore their confidence. There's studies that have been done about that hug. So what is the secret of a hug? 
What is the power of a hug? There are two significant features that set a hug apart from a kiss, from words, from a gaze. All the others, the kiss, the words, the gaze, their their expression of affection. And they're primarily directed towards the face of the person you love. So you speak to a person's face, you, you kiss someone on the cheeks or the lips, and you gaze at their eyes. But what does the embrace, what does the hug do? It's, it takes the whole being, the whole body. It's part, it's that embrace of, of the entire being. And I think one more feature that distinguishes the embrace from other types of love is the, the firm physical bond that characterizes a, a delicious hug. When I utter words, I love you, when I, when I gaze at you, and even when I kiss you, I'm not holding on to you. If you want to move away from my kiss, it's your choice. But when I embrace you, if you want to escape my embrace, you're trapped. You're trapped in a gripping hug. It's almost like I don't let you tear yourself away from me. Now, once we grasp the spiritual energy behind a hug, we see how these two unique characteristics of an embrace, its, it's target being, let's say, the back, and it's gripping hold on the embrace, and they're sorry that and they're interdependent upon each other there within kabbalah there's discussion about two forms of love i hope i'm not going too deep here but you have to forgive me because i get very excited about this this is a, such a beautiful idea there are two forms of love there's reciprocal love and unconditional love the first love is directed to the face of the person. And the second one is directed to the back of the person. Reciprocal love is, is directed to the face. Unconditional love is directed to the back. I'm trying to think of this in, in the form of a metaphor. Okay, well, I'll just explain it like this. I may love you because of what I receive in return for my relationship with you. Maybe you're wise, maybe you're deep, maybe you're, you're sensitive, maybe uh, you're kind or, or you're beautiful or you're humorous or you're challenging. These qualities expressed in and through your face and, and through your eyes and through your ears and your mouth and your look, I love you because of these or 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 any of the the physical and 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 emotional qualities tremendous qualities that enrich my life this is the type of love that's communicated with words of affection with a kiss or in a silent romantic gaze again all of them are directed towards the face the primary location of being reciprocal 
when I express my attachment to you in these three or in any form, what I'm saying is that I cherish you because of your face, because of your qualities, because of your virtues that enrich the caliber of my life. Without you, life for me is much more empty. It's more boring. It's directionless. Now, I, want, I don't want to put down this love. This love is not an illusion. It's not a myth. It can be very deep and powerful to, to give you uh, a life of blessing and fulfillment. Yet, my issue with it is, all of these three types of love, they're conditional. They're reciprocal. The, the conditional love is conditional love. Right? There's so many people, and as somebody who deals with many people looking for romantic love in their life, I always say to them, physical looks cannot be number one because they will wane. Physical looks won't stay. And then what? It's a reciprocal love, physical looks. What happens when he or she doesn't look like they did years ago? Are you still going to love them? Or do you only love them because they're beautiful? So. The reciprocal love, again, I'm not putting it down, but it's the reality of reciprocal love. As long as you're here for me, I'm here for you. It's conditional love. I love you really because I love myself. And you make my quote unquote self much deeper and much happier. And that's wonderful. And it's a beautiful thing. And I don't want to put that down, but it's a conditional love. There's a far, far deeper love. And that's the love that's demonstrated in a hug, in an embrace. What are, what's happening in that love? My arms encircle your back. The hug represents an unconditional, an unqualified, an absolute love. It's not about your face. It's about your back. It's a space that's lacking the opportunity for meaningful, reciprocal. I don't love you because of me. I love you because of you. You may not give me anything in turn for my love. You may not even want me in your life. But I still love you with all my heart because my soul loves your soul. And I think that's why children, maybe more than anything else, need a hug. They need their parents to embrace them. It's an unconditional love. When a child gets uh, hurt or when the child destroys something in the home, what are they searching for more than anything? It's the, the affirmation. It's the validity of their existence that they have not been compromised. They're yearning to hear the message that their value is not dependent upon them being perfect. It's not dependent upon them being impeccable. That their dignity is absolute and eternal. The kid is saying, teach me. Teach me that you love me unconditionally because of who I am not because of what I achieve. So when the child is, is crying because their finger is bleeding, 
And all you do is put a band-aid and you leave. I think you, at that moment, you may have forfeited the irreplaceable opportunity to teach your child at that moment the most important lesson of all, that your dignity stems from your very being. And even when you're going to fall in life and you'll bleed your very being and your very identity is sacred, it's indispensable. Now, I want to take this one step further. I know that uh, I'm going into in, in, into maybe maybe it's a little too deep, but I, I hope you'll follow me with this. I want to take it one step further. Our relationship with God also operates on these two levels. You see, all year round, God's light is communicated to us as a result of the choices we make. That's what free choice is. The choices we make in our lives, they create our destiny. They create God's light uh, towards us and with us. The, the more fine-tuned our bodies and our psyches are to the truth, to the higher truth of reality, the more we, uh, the more we allow ourselves to hear uh, the echoes of of still of 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 the silent voice of God resonating in the depths of our souls throughout the year. We experience God's presence only through our endless efforts, only our, through our work. We refine our behavior. We try to be a little more spiritual each day when we meditate, when we pray, when we reflect, when we study, when we live morally, holy. Then we, we catch a glimpse, a gaze of God's love towards us. When I declare a war against my immoral temptations or my ugly cravings, it's a reciprocal kiss from God. Throughout the year, that's what we're enjoying. We're enjoying a reciprocal relationship with God. God might talk to you. God may even kiss you, gaze at you. But with one condition, you have to show him your face. You have to start. If you don't turn your back on him, then God will be there in ways that you've never imagined. But on Sukkot, on this holiday that's coming up, the rules are suspended for seven days. During this Visamachta Bichagecha, during this joy festival, God gives us a love that's a hug. It's a hug from God. God shares his light and love with us unconditionally, with you unconditionally. And this is really the essence of the sukkah experience. What do you do in a sukkah? You eat, you drink, you, you talk, you relax, you hang out, some even sleep. All the mundane things, all the things that we do as, as ordinary physical humans. There is no hint of spirituality. There is no hint of religiosity. In most of the things we do in the sukkah, we're just hanging out. We're just chilling. We're, we're having a drink. But when they're done in the sukkah, during the seven days of sukkot, they are defined as a mitzvah. Every moment we spend in the sukkah is a mitzvah. 
It's a medium through which we can craft a relationship just by doing mundane physical things. And I think this is the message that is displayed by the walls of the sukkah. The message is, I love you. And I cherish you, not because of what you do for me, not because of what I gain from you. I'm attached to you, not because of your spiritual sophistication or because of your noble pursuits. I love you because I love you. I am one with you as you are. I am in love with your very core. So. If you need a big fat hug in your life, my suggestion, spend some time in the sukkah. If you need that embrace, if you need that unconditional love, if you never got that in your life or you're missing that in your life, the sukkah will give it to you. It's God's unconditional love. And that's the gift. It's an unbelievable gift that we have. This particular time of the year, it's the gift after the difficulties and the conditional love of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and the rest of the year. We have seven days. It's just seven days. That's it. And they go by. But we can take it in and we can experience it and we can live it and we can experience that absolute unconditional love from God. And perhaps, and hopefully, it'll beep its way into other parts of our life and give us that emotional embrace that we're looking for. And that's my thought for today. I'm going to turn off the recording, but questions, uh, comments. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode. 